morning. I'm Anthony McCann. I'm the children's pastor here at Hillside. And before you sneak out or try to run away, I am not up here to ask you to serve in the children's ministry. You're good. Relax. All right? So I will take this opportunity to share this, though. I was recently asked, how come we don't require our parents to serve in the children's ministry? And the quick answer to that is this. Um, It's not our culture. It's not who we are. Um, We're not babysitters. And I don't want to throw bodies in a classroom. We want people in our ministry who love our kids enough to help them understand who Jesus is and to become more like him. And if that's you, please come talk to us. We'd love it. That's enough of my shameless plug. We're safe. Everybody chill. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm excited today. I'm scared to death. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited though. Um, for the opportunity to close out the summer speaking series. This is a great opportunity for, for, for pastors uh, to, to come up and speak in Pete's absence. Um, and I get to close it out and I'm excited about that. That means Pete's going to be back next week though. Yeah, y'all can cheer for that. It's okay. He's had enough vacation, all right? We're ready for Pete to be back. And so that means he'll be back on Labor Day. We really hope you will show up and come hear what's been laid on his heart. Um, last week, I, I walked up to Elijah after second service, and I said, dude, I got to follow that. I mean, he knocked it out of the ballpark. I love that he was sharing what he was studying all summer. He was studying the Psalms and uh, he shared with us some, uh, some uh, thoughts on Psalm 27. And my favorite takeaways from last weekend is when he said, don't allow the enemy come in and lie to you. Don't allow society to lie to you. God is faithful. He is a promise keeper and he is true. And that is the truth. And I love that he shared his heart. So praise be to God for that. All right. So before we get into word today, I... I I have a question. I know it may be odd. Um, is anyone else here fascinated by magicians? Okay. I know TikTok has ruined magic for our younger generation because they're putting, they're putting up all, all the uh, tricks are done and how each one's performed. But I remember as a kid just being in awe of those who could do magic. One of my favorite duos still to this day is Penn and Teller. Um, part of it's, it's a mix of some fantastic tricks, but also some comedy, right? Another was Harry Anderson, who we lost a couple years ago. And before he appeared on Cheers and Night Court, he was an accomplished magician and, a magician and a comedian. Here's the thing about magic. I never wanted to know how the trick was performed. I was simply okay being in awe of it. I turned 50 this summer, and uh, during my 50th birthday party, my dad uh, was telling the story of a 13-year-old me who uh, I received a magic kit for my birthday. And he, he remembers specifically the utter disappointment on my face as I'm reading through the manual and learning that magic's not magic. It's a series of hand movements. It's, 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 it's mirrors. It's specially made objects to give up the illusion of magic. You know, I'll be honest, I was destroyed. It was a loss of innocence for me. 
Now, I still like watching magic, but I'll, I'll lean towards, more towards my comedians. Uh, I enjoy the entertainment at all. And I bring this up because I, I read a book this summer called Square One, Back to the Basics. And it's not about football. I know it's football season. Everybody's talking about back to basics. No, this is about being basics for Christians. What do we need to get back in the basics about? And I always like to skim a chapter before I read it. And I saw Penn Jillette's name in one of the chapters. And I got excited because that's Penn from Penn and Teller. And you can imagine my excitement to read a quote by one of my favorite magician comedians in a Christian book. The authors, Adam McClendon and Matt Kimbrough, are pointing out in this chapter that Christians should be message carriers and ambassadors for Christ. The buildup to the quote drummed up excitement in me because I'm pretty sure Pendulette is an agnostic. Then I read this. Paul demonstrates for us how vocal ambassadorship should be the natural byproduct of a life that has experienced the love of God and a life that loves others. Doesn't that make sense? After all, if we believe this message of hope is true for us, shouldn't it move us to share it with others? And I understand that this example has been used a lot, but the quote by Penn Jillette, the magician duo of Penn and Teller, asked this question. How much do, we, how much do you have to hate someone to not share your faith? This challenge comes from somebody who doesn't believe in God but understands the natural correlation between genuine faith and love and the verbal sharing of faith. Let's stop a moment and think about this. Think about what he just said. How much do we have to hate someone to not share our faith? You want to talk about a loss of innocence? I just got challenged by a man that doesn't believe in God but understands faith better than most Christians. I read through that quote like three times. And it broke my heart. I even had to think about it. When's the last time I shared the gospel outside of this church? And I tell you what, if you have to think about it, it's been too long. It's been too long. Um... So the thought of learning magic wasn't real was heartbreaking. And then to be challenged by a man who I do respect and do value. And, 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 and this thought really got me to thinking, why don't we share the gospel? Why don't we share it more? What's holding us back? What challenged me more is thinking how the author stated, Paul demonstrated for us how vocal ambassadorship should be a natural byproduct of life that is experienced love of God and a life that loves other. That phrase, vocal ambassadorship, got me thinking about Paul's letters to the church of Philippi. And that's where we're gonna spend our time today. In the opening of Philippians, Paul who's sitting in jail is writing a letter to the church of Philippi, not just the leadership, the entire church. And the purpose is he's trying to encourage them that their circumstances do not stop them from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I love it because his opening has two prayers in it. The first of which is just thankfulness. Thankfulness for their fellowship, for their relationship with him and Timothy. And the second is a prayer for continual spiritual growth. And that's where our focus is going to be today. If you want to follow along with me, we're going to read in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. 
It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As the result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach, out of, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being treat, preached, and because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Got that from Kevin Gandy, but I also grew up Catholic, by the way, so it seemed fitting. So, um, so you may be asking yourself, how can Christians proclaim the gospel given the state of today's society? Well, let's look at the state of Paul's society, what he's dealing with. He's sitting in a prison in chains, and he's telling them then, and I truly believe he's telling us now, that in a world full of suffering, Christians can bring joy by sharing the gospel. If we look at verses 12 and 13, there's no doubt for the reason for Paul's imprisonment. He is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is declaring here that suffering does not keep Christians from proclaiming the gospel. And what, what I love is Charles Spurgeon's thought on this. He says, notice the beautiful self-forgiveness of the apostle Paul. So long as the gospel, uh, so long as the gospel could be more widely pu- published, he did not mind where he was or what he suffered. He's explaining, Paul's explaining to the church that the circumstances of his persecution do not keep Christians from proclaiming the gospel. His imprisonment did not keep him from sharing the good news. In fact, in verse 12, he says, my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. And what he's sharing is when we share the gospel through adversity, we show the power of the Holy Spirit. We as a body of Christ can advance the gospel through faithful confession and even while we are struggling with our circumstances. What really resonates is how confident he is to proclaim the gospel to those who have imprisoned him. He's not getting wrapped up in his own problems or allowing his situation to keep him from proclaiming the good news. He's taking advantage of his circumstances to share the gospel when no one around him expects it. McClendon and Kimbrough state, we have a purpose in this life. We are not called to plod through life, surviving in anticipation of heaven. We are not earthly sojourners just biding our time. No, that is not the biblical picture of Christian life. We are not called to just wait for the by and by. God wants to use us now. He has a purpose for us as long as we are on this earth. God has commissioned us to be his vocal ambassadors so that through us, those who do not have a relationship with God might be made right with God by believing the gospel. As we move into Philippians 14 through 17, and I want to read this again. It says, because of my chains, most, 
Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach it out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. One commentary explains, a new evangelistic effort sprang up that affected the entire Christian community. Paul saw his situation was a catalyst for renewed interest in outreach, and he knew it would be good news to the church of Philippi. That's the whole reason for this letter. What we can learn through Paul's example is the gospel is the good news, and we can confidently proclaim it no matter what's going on in our lives. You know, we could buzzword this to death. We could say that he's walking the talk or he's leading by example, but it's more than that because not only is he, not only is he fearlessly sharing the word while sitting in a jail cell, other believers who have witnessed this are gaining confidence through his experience and sharing the gospel as well. Ralph Martin says, these brothers were so encouraged and stimulated by fortitude of Paul the prisoner, that they begin to give a bolder testimony to the word of God. That word bolder stands out, doesn't it? Just stands out because it shows that believers were already engaging in the gospel. But because of Paul's example, they were driven to do so all the more. So I like it because it shows that they were in good courage, that they were speaking with boldness. But after Paul, they did so much more. You know, Paul is being persecuted for his beliefs, and instead of being fearful or shutting down, he's speaking out. He's speaking out more boldly. I'm going to love that word all day. So his actions have affected other believers, and they are following suit. And in all actuality, this is the opposite effect of what his persecutors were expecting. They weren't hoping for God's word to get out when they threw him in jail, I promise you. So this begs the question for us, what's keeping us from proclaiming the gospel? Is it persecution? It's not that persecution doesn't exist in the United States because it's definitely under attack. Patrick Sudeiko explains this, the Western church has enjoyed unprecedented freedom to worship and practice the Christian faith over the last two centuries to the extent that some will deny that persecution in the West is a reality. Certainly, persecution in the West is overall as nothing compared as endured by the believers in the Islamic world or under communist rule or other contexts where religious nationalism has the upper hand. But that does not mean persecution doesn't exist. But if you need a better example, let's talk about Nigeria. I was shocked. I don't know much about Nigeria, but I definitely didn't know that they're the seventh highest in the persecution of Christians. Seventh, they didn't make the top five. But if we were living there, we would hear stories like this, a Nigerian believer whose father was beheaded for his Christian belief. And this believer sharing, once you're a Christian in Nigeria, your life is always at stake, but it's not like we have any place else to go. We have no option. 
In 2020, it was reported in the middle and northern belt, or middle belt, north and middle belt of Nigeria, that 3,700 Christians were killed for their faith. That's almost double the number of the year prior, which was 2,000, with villages being completely abandoned by Christians who were forced to flee and their armed attackers moved to settle in. So based on that example, I'm pretty sure here in Keller, Texas, it's not persecution that keeps us from proclaiming God's word. And we have so many examples of here, amazing examples of what that should look like. You know, I'm sure every one of us could think of several reasons as to why we don't share the gospel. It could be fear. It could be lack of confidence. It could be anger towards God because of a situation. It could be lack of knowledge. You could be an introvert. You can be an extrovert. I could go on and on and on and on. But instead, let me show you a couple of examples from my life. Fear's a tough hurdle. And I promise you, if fear was going to stop something, it would stop me from being here today. I have wicked stage fright, wicked stage fright. This room terrifies me every time, okay? But I'm here. I'm here sharing what God's laid on my heart. I'm also afraid to say the wrong thing. I'm scared that my lack of knowledge, that I may say something wrong. And then I realize in those moments... When I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, it's not me. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. So if you know me for more than a minute, you'll realize right away, I am far from an introvert. Okay? The the laughter's true. (laughs) Um, But I used to get really shy about sharing my faith. And then I realized my faith my faith is not a part of who I am. If, it's, if I'm going to be true to myself, then I can talk to anyone about my faith at any time. Ask my barber. <laughs> so did a great job, didn't he? Um, he, had a, he? Him and his girlfriend had a baby a, a couple months ago, um, and it's been a while since I got to see him. Well, when his, when, when, when his baby was born, I went out and bought her a Bible. And so I showed up for my haircut this week. And I showed up with a little pink bag. And he was all excited and then grabbed it and realized it's a book. This foolish Christian has brought me a parenting book, right? And I saw the disappointment on his face. I really did. But he sat me in a chair, got me ready, and then put the, uh, put the bag in my lap. And he was like, let's see what you got. And what I got his baby girl was her first Bible. It's a My Princess Bible. It's pink. It's fabulous. It's got some bling on it. But it does, it does represent God's word well. And he was so excited, he stopped right there and FaceTimed his girlfriend to show her. You know, anger could be the, another hurdle for me. In fact, it's a hard hurdle for all of us. We have a lot to be angry about, right? The rises, rising cost of living, Disney Plus is constantly increasing prices, you know? But I'll be honest, I've had a lot of reasons in my life to be mad at God. In the 14 years since I've dedicated my life to Christ, I've laid on my son's chest as he took his last breath. A few years later, I officiated a funeral for my father-in-law. 
And a few short years after that, I gave CPR to Tracy in our downstairs bathroom. You know, that's the, that's the biggest fear of every partner. That's our worst nightmare. And as soon as I thought I was climbing out and God had gifted me with an amazing new wife, shortly after I asked for Jennifer's hand, we lost her father to COVID. And I got to officiate his funeral as well. So, but here I am today sharing the importance of sharing God's word, of boldly proclaiming who Christ is. Do you know why? Because I know that all four of those people that I talked about had heard the gospel, had accepted the gospel, had asked for forgiveness, and were seated with God. So, I will say this, whatever is keeping you from preaching the gospel and sharing your faith begins and ends with you. Because if you allow the Holy Spirit to work, he will. In verses 15 through 17, Paul points out that not everyone shares the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is for their own selfish motives. In Paul's case, Their preaching of Christ was set against the background of selfish ambition, squabbling in the interest of their party. Does that sound familiar? We're not dealing with that here in the States, are we? And their calculated aim was to stir up trouble. It says, while in chains, to irritate him as he lay helpless in prison, unable to defend himself. What is admirable here is Paul celebrates the gospel being shared no matter what the motives are. Because we do not have to defend the truth of the gospel. Paul's defense involved the gospel. Others may have thought about it, the repercussions of their preaching and retaliation in relation to their own lives, but Paul lived for the gospel. He wanted to have an opportunity to share the gospel with all the people in Rome. Through Paul's example, we can ascertain the truth of Jesus does not need to be defended, only shared. More than anything, we can see that those who love the gospel will will proclaim its truth and then rejoice. Charles Spurgeon's thoughts on this verse are, it is as much to be desired to all who preach Christ should preach in the right spirit. But even if they do not, Let us be glad that Christ is preached anyhow. Even though it is only a portion of the gospel that is proclaimed, there is much mixed with it from which we greatly differ. If Christ is preached, his gospel will win in its own way and will work out for his great purposes of love and mercy. Love that. John Piper speaks about boldness and he says, in the face of opposition... Boldness in the face of opposition is the heart of being a Christian. It is not upper-level spirituality for super saints. It is the meat and potatoes of Christian living. There's victory in the gospel. We can see Paul's reaction to the gospel being proclaimed. I love verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. 
And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. The proclamation of Christ expands the kingdom of God. Paul celebrates the proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ. He's adamant that the gospel is for everyone. Lang states this about Paul. The cause of his joy is that in every way Christ is proclaimed, the difference in the mode of proclamation cannot disturb his joy. This joy is not merely present, but an abiding one. We can see through Paul's life that we are called to the great commission to share the gospel. When the good news is proclaimed, we should celebrate. Paul rejoices every time the gospel is shared, even while he was in jail, being personally attacked. Our great commission states, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. As a Christian, we're here to proclaim the good news to everyone. And when that good news is shared, we should rejoice. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins and he defeated death. This is the good news that Jesus Christ commissioned us to proclaim. Paul shares this truth with the church of Philippi while imprisoned in Rome. He's sharing it with prisoners. He's sharing it with guards. All those who knew Paul's story were encouraged to boldly share the gospel without fear. And during this time, those who shared the gospel for their own selfish motives were present, but Paul still rejoiced. Paul suffered for the love of the gospel, but it didn't stop him from proclaiming Christ. From a prison cell, he declared the glory of the good news. He shared that all, to all who would listen the story of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who came to earth as a man, died on a cross for everyone's sin, and was raised three days later. Those who saw his courage followed his example, and we can do the same. Richard Mellick says, Paul's real joy was that Christ was proclaimed. The factor of his life calls, his life call enters this context. Paul wanted to hear, well done, when he stood before God. His task was to reach the Gentiles for Christ. And how that was accomplished was of secondary consequence. The mixed preaching at Rome actually furthered his deepest Christian desire, which was to make Christ known. I would be remiss today if I did not use this opportunity to share the gospel with you. So if you indulge me for just a minute, I want to share with you my testimony, which started at this church right there. I was sitting over there. Pete, Pete was up here. This was so long ago, there wasn't a TV. There may have been a whiteboard, okay? But Pete had said, God pursues you. And at that point in my life, I was pretty broken. I was working 70 to 80 hours a week. My son was having back-to-back surgeries. My wife's illness at the time, my late wife's illness, were taking over and increasing at a rapid pace. And I was working, playing Warcraft and drinking. That was my life. I was a horrible father, even a worse husband. 
And the only thing I was good at was work. And that's what I did. And I was at my end. I was completely empty sitting over here when Pete says that God pursues me. And I went, what do you mean he pursues me? He can't pursue me. I, I have too much sin in my life. I'm a horrible person. And my heart was breaking. And I kept thinking about this barrier of sin that I had in my life that keeps me from God. And yet Pete kept hitting that button. God pursues you. Well, if he's pursuing me, why can't he get to me? And then Pete followed up with, it takes action on your part. You have to get up and ask for forgiveness. Action. Well, if I was capable of action, I would be a better husband. If I was capable of action, my son would know who I was. There was often times where I would go to work before he woke up and I would come home after he went to sleep. There were years there where he didn't even see me hardly. And my substitute, my, 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 what I did in my pastime was either drink or play Warcraft. None of that benefited my family. I was incapable of taking action. And I sat there and I thought about God pursuing me, God coming after me. Why does God even want me? And then I remembered that Jesus Christ came to earth to understand me better. He walked this earth as a man. He lived a sinless life and was punished by death and did so for my sin. And then he rose on the third day, he defeated death. And I can't say I'm sorry and I need forgiveness. And then I heard the words, it's time. And I stood up. We had elders and pastors along the, the dais here. And I walked up to Jeff Wakefield. I told him I need Christ in my life. And now I was ready to receive him. And Jeff prayed for me. And then I prayed. And then Jeff gave me one of those hugs. You know those grandpa hugs? The ones that make you feel better? Like everything in your life is now okay. And I want to be clear so Jeff's not too upset with me. He's only old enough to be my father. Okay? But he gave me that grandpa hug. And it felt like God was hugging me. And I was at peace for the first time in 36 years. And if God is tapping you on the shoulder today and telling you it's time and you want that peaceful relationship with him, I'm not gonna ask you to come up and hug me, it'd be awkward, okay? But what I am gonna ask of our congregation, guys, if you will still, just be still and close your eyes. I'm not gonna ask for any hands. I just want you to pray this. Close your eyes, pray. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. 
take complete control of my life and help me walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and answering my prayer. If you've said that prayer today, we want to know. If you want to come up and talk to me, if you just need a grandpa hug, I'll do my best. I'm not at the grandpa status yet. My kids are teenagers. But if you, we would love to hear from you. If you don't want to talk to me, we have amazing people in our prayer corners that will pray with you and for you. If this is a renewal for you, same thing. Come to us. Let us know. Just very grateful for the opportunity that God gave me through this church that he was pursuing me and valued me when I didn't value myself. And I hope today that you can find peace in that. Let us pray. Father God, I pray that somebody heard your word differently today. Somebody was impacted by your truth today, that you love us, you pursue us, and you want us. And Lord, for those who heard it, I am grateful. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we will go out of this room and more boldly proclaim your truth, your love, that the people will know, that we know we will love to share our faith with. I pray that we leave here differently today because of you and all that you've done for us. In your holy and precious name, amen.